Hello, and welcome to Texas State Choirs Today. I am your host, Dr. Jonathan Babcock, and we have a very special guest with us today. I am speaking with Dr. Craig Jessup, who is the founding dean and professor of choral conducting for the Kane College of the Arts at Utah State University. He is the founder and music director of the American Festival Chorus and Orchestra. He served as a lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Air Force, where he served as director of the Singing Sergeants in Washington, D.C., as well as other Air Force ensembles. And, of course, we know him as the esteemed music director of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Thank you so much for being here, Craig. I can't tell you how excited this is. As we were walking over here, I couldn't help thinking, what are we going to talk about? Because there's so many things to talk about. <laughs> you, you've had so many different facets of your life and so and have all been, I mean, you're one of the leaders of our craft and, and, and because you've just worked so hard all your life. Well, you're very kind. Thank you. And I'm honored to be here. And I'm especially honored to share with your students or anyone else who wants to uh, who, who might be curious uh, yeah, about well, this? Will be a, a real thrill since most of our students are undergraduates. Yes, I, I like to start out the interview just talking about your undergraduate experience. Where, uh, where did you do your undergraduate degree? Utah State University. Utah State University, where you are right now. What's I, that like? Uh, oh, being back at your alma mater. It's wonderful. It's uh, where I grew up. It's a beautiful Alpine Valley up in northern Utah, about. 100 miles north of Salt Lake City, and I'm fourth generation. My great-grandfather and his brother were some of the first pioneers who came and settled that area. It's where my wife and I met and graduated, and all four of our children went there and graduated. So our roots are really deep. That's really home. In that, yeah. That's really home. So I did my undergraduate there with a brilliant man by the name of William Ramsey, who uh, is a boy from Kentucky who went on to Columbia University and did his doctorate. And while in Columbia, sang with Robert Shaw and was his assistant. And uh, Bill Ramsey brought to tiny Logan, Utah, this incredible legacy of choral knowledge and work and experience. And I, if there had been a little slice of time for him to be there, it, it was, was the right time. It was the right time for me. He's been a mentor and a friend and is to this day. I'm still very close to him. That's wonderful. And to have your mentor yeah. still around and that you still yeah. call him a mentor is yeah. wonderful. So what is the timeline? Of course, you were in, in the Air Force. Did you do the Air Force first or was it college No, it first? was much later and something I never intended. No, I... He never intended. I, <laughs> it, wouldn't, it was never on my radar. I um, graduated from Utah State and went directly to Brigham Young University and did a master's degree in choral music education. Uh, and then I went right into a high school teaching job for two years in Salt Lake City, mm. Granite High School. Uh, but I always wanted to be a university teacher like my teacher. I understand. And uh, it came time to do graduate programs. And I was very, very fortunate because my mentor, Bill Ramsey, had gone from uh, Utah State to Stanford University. I called him and said, Bill, I'm looking at places. And I thought because I'd done my degrees in the West, maybe I should go East. And so we talked about different opportunities. But he said, we have an incredible DME, DMA here in conducting, not choral conducting, not orchestral conducting, 
conducting everything, and it specializes in performance practice of different periods of music. And it was a three-year program. I went out, took my auditions and my exams, and uh, we moved our little family to Palo Alto, mm-hmm. California. It was incredible. And while there, did a great deal of singing. I, I was a singer always and had done a lot of work, including the Marilla Opera Program at San Francisco Opera. And that was a valuable year because I learned that year I do not want to be a professional opera singer. <laughs> I want to be a conductor. But I, I had made a lot of contacts from the Bay Area, sang in the Carmel Bach Festival for a couple of years while wow. there as a student. That was a great experience for me. Uh, and then at the very beginning of my final year, I got a call from the United States Air Force Band saying, we've identified you as a, a possibility to be director of the Air Force Singing they Sergeants. They called you. Yeah, well, let me tell you why. <laughs> so uh, you're too young, but I had a draft number. This is 1960s okay, when, okay. I, when I turned 18 in 1968. My draft number was 32. I didn't mind serving, but I wanted to graduate from college first. And so I went right to ROTC and enrolled in the Reserve Officer Training Corps right. program mm-hmm. and finished, uh, was commissioned as a second lieutenant in the Air Force. And two weeks before we were commissioned, a major came in and said, the war is over. We have too many people. How many would like to do 90 days and get out? So well, I was prepared to th- serve three years, but... I said, right here. Holy cow. So I was a one-star general aide at Hamilton Air Force Base, which is at the northern end of San Francisco Bay. And I thought, that's it. I, uh, my Air Force service is done, and I'll go on. But five years later, when they call me, and I had been promoted to a first lieutenant uh, as an inactive reservist, it, they said, you really need to look at this job because... It's a professional choir. I never heard of the singing sergeants. In fact, I thought it sounded really hokey. <laughs> and, and Bill Ramsey wasn't too happy with it either. But uh, they put me on invitational travel orders. I flew back, took the audition, was absolutely blown away by the caliber of the musicians. This is their full-time job. Professional singers, most all of them with degrees, undergrad and grad degrees, And uh, ultimately, the choir that I was allowed to build from what was there was a a chamber choir of 28 singers, 14 men, 14 women. And it was extraordinary. We toured all 50 states, 28 foreign countries. So are you telling me you were the first director of the singing sergeants? No, I I was the first choral director. The first choral director, okay. But they were always uh, members of the band. And Colonel Gabriel oh, was the commander of the band, and he wanted a choral specialist. So I, I was indeed the first choral uh, conductor. Wow. And I had an incredible time. This land is your land, this land is my land, from California to New York Island, from the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters. This land was made for you and me. So I volunteered for the Air Force Band of Europe to Ramstein Air Force Base 
in Germany and took our whole family over there. Uh, wherever I have been, in addition to my Air Force job, I always had a, 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 another outside choir. For example, I had the Maryland Choral Society when I had the Air Force Singing Sergeants. Mm -hmm. While in the D.C. area, in uh, Germany, I had the Rheinland-Pfalz International Choir of Germany. Wow. I had a fantastic experience with them. While I had uh, the Air Force Band, I became, became commander of the band. That forced me to be an instrumental conductor. And fortunately, with my doctorate degree, I'd had a lot of experience with instruments as well as voices, but it made me a better conductor in every way. And really, the great thing about this whole thing is that that's how I became associated with Robert Shaw. I had taken a workshop at Atlanta in, at Emory University on Elijah, a one-day workshop, while I had come back for some meetings from Europe. So I had this free day, and I went down to Atlanta. At the end of the day, I went up to Mr. Shaw and said, uh, I'm commander of the Air Force Band of Europe. I know you have this incredible uh, festival in France. If you ever need winds, brass, or percussion, call on me. We could support you. And he, he's, he sort of said, well, okay, that's good to know, but it was no big deal. Uh -huh. So six months later, I get a call from my wife who called me at work and said, sit down. You'll never guess who called you, Robert Shaw. And it was, he'd like you to call him. He's in Paris. So I called him and he said, were you serious about you, that offer? And I said, absolutely. And then he said, what can I do for you? And I said, Mr. Shaw, the only thing I want to do is sing in the Festival Singers. And he said, are you a singer? I said, yeah, I am. He said, okay, let's do it. So uh, we came and you spent the entire month of July and we did like eight performances of the B minor mass all around these gothic, gorgeous cathedrals and amazing. singing with Mr. Shaw. The festivals in France and then every January at Carnegie Hall uh, with the Carnegie Hall the, the workshops with Robert Shaw. And I, I remember seeing the Elijah that he, he yeah. did. In, and I was, it was just it was just absolutely stunning. Tell us about and Robert I was Shaw. Singing what there. was he what, what was he like sitting down next to him as opposed to being on the podium? He was incredible. I, I, I don't know. I he was always incredibly kind to me and as kind and personable uh, as he could be. If a woman ever entered the room, Mr. Shaw was the first one on his feet. He was a real gentleman, and I learned a great deal about him. He was, obviously, he burned white hot on excellence in his performances Absolutely. and in his rehearsals. But I ate it up. I loved it. And uh, I found that those 10 years watching a master put together, well, the Britain War Requiem, the Misa Solemnus, the Elijah, the Creation, and the Seasons, um, and so many more I can't remember, plus the experiences in France. Then Telarc recording would come over at the end of the festival in France, and we did all these recordings uh, for Telarc. Which are all... Are legendary. Uh, yeah, yeah. they are legendary. I mean, the Rachmaninoff Vespers is 
That's a definitive recording. It is pure spirit. It's just... Yeah. And yeah. this was recorded in Grama, uh, in this incredibly beautiful stone church. It wasn't a cathedral. It was a smaller church, but it was heaven. Just to be do music in that setting. At that in, level. At, at that level. Is and just... when you enter a choir, and I'd done a lot of singing in my life, and, you know, when you... You are the average in that group. And uh, what incredibly gifted singers and, and really brilliant musicians, but everyone left their ego at the door for Wonderful. Robert Shaw, and you became one. And it was some of the not only musical highlights, but spiritual highlights of my life. We, one summer we recorded the uh, Frank Martin Mass for mm -hmm. Double Choir, and I, I had an out-of-body experience in that recording session. It was—it's unexplainable what happened. And it, that's because of the the environment that Shaw creates. Yeah, because and the, the, and the sonority and what he could bring—he could channel uh, these composers. He was so faithful to the score. I learned That's what I've always heard about him is that you know he'd he'd start over with a, he's doing a second performance of this piece a new, score, a new score and he'd remark it and no one marked their scores with more detail than Robert Shaw. In fact, I think a graduate course in choral conducting or conducting period ought to be required to go to the Yale Music Library and just look at one of his scores, and oh, it'll oh. just mind-boggling how. And I have. I've spent a lot of time, because I don't know of anyone who's conducted more performances of a B minor mass, a Brahms Requiem, a Beethoven Musa Solemnis, yeah, a, a, a Britain War Requiem. Yeah, sure. I mean, he knew it inside and out, and his scores are marked with such detail and such color. He always said, I learned passion from Toscanini. And I learned accuracy from Zell, George Zell right. of the Cleveland Orchestra. Where you know, he it was makes sense that you have such a connection with him because he is choral and instrumental he as is. well. I mean, you are and, kind of... And my passion has always been the orchestral choral masterworks or anything with winds and voices. I, or, or, or instruments and voices. I just love that. It, it's thrilling. It's my favorite repertoire, too. It, it's okay. just so thrilling. It grabs hold of you, unlike a, a cappella piece. Can. Yeah, I, I agree. I love the a cappella pieces, but the expressiveness of these. When you did the War Requiem yeah. in Dallas for the yes, ACA yes, National, yes. such... I mean, just an extraordinary piece, and it's one of those pieces that you have to be there you have live. To. You have and to. And I, I certainly remember feeling this was very Shaw-esque, what I was feeling. And I will never forget, I, I left the auditorium by myself and yeah. just kind of walked into the city and found a place to sit and just be quiet because I had been so moved by this piece and, and, and your conducting of it. It was, it was something I'll never forget. Well.
So, of course, we've got to talk about the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. So yeah. how, tell us how you came into that position. Well, uh, you cannot grow up in Utah and love be a lover <laughs> of uh, choral music and not uh, be influenced by the Tabernacle Choir. And I would uh, say you can't grow up in the United States of America and be in the choral music world wonderful. and not be influenced by the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Wonderful. For sure. So my goal as a singer was to always sing in the choir, and I got in when I was 23. There were no age restrictions then, as there are now. Richard Condy, if you know that name. I know the name. He was the conductor, and he was like a rock star to me. Uh, when I was in high school, everyone's collecting Beatles albums, <laughs> and I'm connect, co uh, collecting Mormon Tabernacle Choir albums. Uh, and so I got in and just loved the experience and I knew the people well. So Alexander Schreiner was one of the legendary organists at the Tabernacle. Mm -hmm. He was there. And so I was there for Richard Condy's last year. Jay Welch was his associate director. He was there for just a short time. And then Jay was succeeded by Gerald Otley. And so I, that was four years from 73 to 77 when I went out to Stanford. But I always remained close to Jerry Otley and his wife, Joanne, who was the vocal coach of the choir and a great singer. And through the years, when I had the Air Force singing sergeants with the Air Force band, we were on tour and we did a joint performance with the Tabernacle Choir, the singing sergeants and the Air Force band. Uh -huh. Columbia made a recording of it, Columbia Masterworks. And that was the first time I ever conducted the choir because Jerry had me conduct two numbers on the, on uh -huh. the concert. And then uh, I also had the, uh, when I came back from Europe, I had the Strategic Air Command Band in Omaha, Nebraska, and my band went and did a performance with the Tabernacle Choir. And then a couple of years after that, I got an invitation to come out just me, not me and my band, but just me. And I didn't realize I was being auditioned. <laughs> and while I was there, the president of the choir, Wendell Smoot, uh, took me to lunch and just says, Craig, Donald Ripplinger, Gerald's assistant, is going to retire. You've been identified as a potential uh, person for this. Before we go any further, are you interested in this job? And I said, absolutely, yes. <laughs> so um, in the process of a year, there were other auditions, and uh, ultimately the job came to me. And I was for in a fortunate position. I had achieved the rank of lieutenant colonel and was at a perfect place to retire. So I retired from the Air Force and went directly to be Gerald Otley's assistant. So I have known, I even knew the predecessor to Richard Condy, J. Spencer Cornwall, who attended our church where we, when I taught high school. Here's this sweet old man with hair, uh, just white, white hair. And so to have known Spencer Cornwall, Richard Condy, Jay Welch, and Gerald Otley, as well as Alexander Schreiner and John Longhurst and Roy Darley, these organists was an incredible uh, sense of history of the whole place. And to be a part of that legacy yeah, is, is something I, I, else. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And then 
four years into it, Jerry said, Craig, I'm stepping down and I'm recommending you to take my position. And it happened. And then uh, I, I was in a position where I was able to uh, advise and suggest some, some ideas and certainly tell them of, uh, of people that I thought would be very strong in the position. And uh, we had some wonderful, there's a really rich talent to draw on, but I, I just had, I knew Mac Wilberg had to be there. So, oh, and, we were, and then, the, then the two of you were this wonder team that just came out with all these arrangements of all these great folk yeah. songs and all of these great it, Christmas carols. The it two was, of you just it made was, this incredible repertoire for it all was of heaven. Us. It was yeah. heaven. Uh, your uh, Max, uh, uh, come thou fount of every blessing. Uh-huh. I do it every chance I yeah. can. It's yeah. just so That's thrilling. Max. Yeah, that's Max. But yeah, we recorded it. He actually wrote that for BYU. It is brilliant. And audiences all over the world just come right to their feet. He it. just knows exactly how to he, push the he button. Does. He, he does. He really, really does. Yeah. So we all know the Mormon Tabernacle Choir for the Christmas right. concert that's done, and it's right. huge, and it's the best one going. Tell us, what else does the choir do throughout the year? So its bread and butter is that radio-television broadcast called Music and the Spoken Word, which went live uh, July fifteenth, nineteen 1929. It's the longest continuous network radio broadcast in the world to this day. It still goes. So that's every Sunday morning, 28 minutes and 30 seconds of music, and it changes every week. That's the basic. Uh, And then um, the choir always sings for the two worldwide general conferences of the church, Mm -hmm. one in April and one in October. And then uh, Gerald Otley, he started these Christmas concerts, but mainly on a local level. He had done two PBS broadcasts, not annually, but one with Shirley Verrett before I was there. And then when I was the assistant with the Canadian Brass, and we recorded uh, John Rutter's Gloria. Mm -hmm. When I became director of the choir, there were two things. There were three things that I really wanted to do. Uh, one was to have an orchestra. I'd had all these years with the Air Force Band and singing sergeants, these years with Shaw. I know that the golden age of uh, the recording era for the Tab Choir was when they had this affiliation with Eugene Ormandy and the Philadelphia Orchestra. Right. That's right. And Mm -hmm. they were, you know, they got their gold records and their Grammy at that time. Mm -hmm. But Times change and tastes change, but I felt like the choir really could do so much more with an orchestra. So I had recommended to the president of the choir, and he took it to the president of the church, that we ought to have a a professional caliber orchestra. Uh, And they built this new conference center, which is a 21,000-seat gorgeous auditorium Mm. across the street from the Temple Square where the tabernacle is. So uh, it all it all happened. We got the orchestra. We were able to establish a training school for the choir where the singers are brought in and they go through uh, three months of intensive training so that there's a baseline. Everyone so before they sing in the choir, they go through three-month boot camp. Kind yeah, of that exactly. That's, I mean, I've never heard of that before. Yeah, that yeah. is something very unique. 
Tuesday night is an academic, the training school, and Thursday night is a chamber choir where they would prepare oh, things like a Mozart Requiem or they did a B minor Mass. Uh, over the years, they've done a lot of repertoire. Repertoire that the tab choir doesn't get to that often because when your life is that weekly broadcast, yeah. anything else is uh, a lot of extra work. We decided we wanted to own Christmas, and we had a really great relationship with uh, KUED in Salt Lake City, the PBS affiliate, and they had done the other two previous with Gerald Otley. Plus, we had the new 21,000-seat auditorium, and President Gordon B. Hinckley, the president of the Mormon Church at that time, said, we want this to be not just for the conferences of the church. This is a cultural venue as well. And we thought, what better way than Christmas? So the first year we had Gladys Knight and Roma Downey. Uh, I had tried for Angela Lansbury, uh-huh. but she turned us down. That was Christmas of 2000. Christmas of 2001, I invited her again. She turned us down. And... 9-11 happened, and a week after 9-11, she called me uh, on the phone, I, and I answered the phone. She said, is this Dr. Jessup? And I knew that voice. <laughs> I said, Murder, she wrote. I said, Miss Lansbury. She said, did you get my letter? And I said, yes, and we're so sorry. We so much want you to come. And she said, would you do me a very great favor? Would you rip it up? And she said, I very much like to come. I wanted to come last year, but she said, what would I do? I'm an actress who sings. I'm not a singer. And I said, Miss Lansbury, I totally disagree. I said, Absolutely. and she said, well, what would I do? And I said, well, why don't we start with We Need a Little Christmas from Mame? I think you got a Tony for that. <laughs> oh, yeah. well, yes, I, I, I guess I could do that. I said, how about Nothing's Gonna Harm You from Sweeney Todd? I think you got a Tony for that, too. She said, well, do you think they'd like that? I said, I know they'd love that. And then how about Beauty and the Beast from the Disney movie, which I think got an Academy Award? Well, yes, I guess I could do that. Isn't that funny? She was absolutely the best. And she, that she would think that she'd ha- she had nothing to offer. What am so I humble, going to bring to the table? Hardest yeah, working exactly. person I've ever seen. Tale as old as time True as it can be Barely even friends Then somebody bends unexpectedly just a little change Small to say the least Both a little scared Neither one prepared Beauty and the beast So I'm really proud of how it's evolved, what it's turned into. And that, that, that was your vision. That was, that was really your and vision. And, you know, it started with the Air Force Band in Washington, D.C., because every Christmas... 
we had guest artists come in and do a Christmas concert at Constitution Hall. And then every uh, February and March, every Sunday, eight Sundays in a row, was the guest artist series. And I just saw that's Mr. Rogers came with the whole neighborhood. That's why I knew you could get Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch. And, or, yeah, I see. Yeah. Uh, and then we'd have Doc Severinsen, or then we'd have William Conrad, or then Lee Greenwood. So I knew you could do it and, and fairly quickly put it together. You had to have an orchestra. And you had to have this kind of venue to do it. And it's just ideal. And it has to be good. And it you has to, to be good. good it has to be good. And so we started to memorize everything because that makes such a difference. Mm-hmm. But what you don't see are the large monitors at the back of the hall with the words on the... Oh, there is a good one. There's so that a good helps. scoop for our podcast. That, that, help, that helps a lot. I'll, I'll, I'll bet it does. That helps a lot. So now, what are what do you have going on in your future now? What's what's the next chapter? Well, I just turned seventy. Congratulations! Thank you. And I've been in. I've I've always kept active musically. Uh, I went home to Utah State University where my family is and where we have so many Where it all started. Yeah. (laughs) And I've loved it. So I came back as the department head, and then they decided to start a new college of the arts. And the president of the university asked me if I would be the first dean of that college. And I've loved it. I'm really proud of what we were able to do. And then I started the American Festival Orchestra and Chorus, and started checking off my bucket list like the War Requiem. Exactly. Uh, you know, it, through the, our conversation here, it's really you just know how to get things done. You 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 have a vision and you say I can do this and this is what I want and you just go do it. I think that's well, really such a, a testament to just hard work and and being, you know, this is what I want and this is what I'm going to get. I've never been short on ideas. <laughs> clearly, and, clearly, you and are, are inspired. And I've I've always valued relationships, and and really wanted to encourage and provide opportunities for people of talent, not suppress them, as I've seen in some environments. Mm-hmm. You're right. Celebrate these young students who are really smarter than we are. You know, For you have sure. to stay on your toes. And they're not as jaded as we are. Exactly. <laughs> and and help them on their way. And I, I, I can say, honestly, more than the music, the great music, which means so much to me, it's the friends, it's the relationships that mean as much, if not more, to me. And through all the places that I've been, I just have such great uh, relationships with wonderful friends. My, my, Mike Wilberg is like my brother to this day. We I think that's how we all see the two of you is that your brother. Oh, really? Yeah. I think that's the perception He's that just, you just have lunch with each other every day. And we, <laughs> well, if we, if we could, if I bet you would, we, we you would, could. if we could, but we're still very close and speak frequently. And, uh, Every once in a while, we'll say we'll set aside a free Saturday and we'll go on an eight or 10 hour car ride around the state of Utah. And you'll plan choral music nonstop, nonstop (laughs) talking. And if I can get Max singing, it's just awesome. 
I'll bet very creative. And <laughs> yeah. Oh, we have such fun. Well, thank you so much for doing this. You you are a really a legend in the American choral culture. You 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 are an extension of everyone that's come before us, and I'm I'm just so grateful to talk to you. Thank you so much. For My honor. You humble me by saying that because I certainly don't feel that in any way. But I feel so fortunate to have been able to be a part of this incredible art form that we all share. And and talking about friends, really. I mean. They, they, isn't that what a chorus is? When it is a community. Together, it's a community in the truest of sense to of the get word. Together, more than anything, more than the music. Like it is, said. it is. So, thanks very much. Thank you very much. It's oh, been you're a pleasure. Welcome. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Texas State Choirs today. Texas State Choirs Today is a production of the historic Fire Station Studios in the heart of downtown San Marcos. Our producer is Lucas Phillips, our recording engineer is James French, and our technical advisor is Mark Erickson. I'm your host, Jonathan Babcock, and this has been Texas State Choirs Today.